This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Hand Manchester City the title now, even if they're not top. The already exhausted Erling Braut Haaland conversation gets another spin. Phil Foden also gets three. And is Jack Grealish starting to enjoy himself? Meanwhile, Eric Ten Hag respectfully leaves Ronaldo on the bench, which at least means the cameraman can cut between him and Sir Alex as the misery continues. Arsenal are top, swatting a very flat Spurs aside with ease as Emerson Royal does his best Arise Sejourier impression. Roberto De Zerbi is unlucky to only get a point at Anfield in his first game in charge, and it was Bruno Large's last game in charge at Wolves, controversially getting fired the day before we record the podcast. Did Thiago Silva handball it too much to get a red card at Palace? Miguel Almiron hits a perler, and Everton have the best defence in the league. Sorry, what? All this, plus footballers commentating to themselves, hyperbaric chambers, and the upholstery at Macclesfield Town. Plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening. Good morning. Hi, Max. Hello, Troy Townsend. Good morning, Max. And hello to John Bruin. Hello, Max. Now let's start at the Etihad, shall we? Manchester City 6, Manchester United 3. What a sort of 1960s scoreline that is. Uh, Tom says, here we go again. Will Haaland cut it in the Premier League? I mean, we've been through the it's difficult to talk about how good Erling Haaland is. AJ Large says he would be joint third in the 2004-05 Golden Boot Award and he's only played eight games. Um, It was a slightly weird season, that. But yeah, Robert Pires came third with 14 goals for Arsenal and Haaland is there. Joe says, has Erling Braut Haaland ruined football? Barry? No. If anything, I think he's enhanced it for me because I I really love watching him play and just finding how many different kind of arrows he has in his quiver. His tally so far is remarkable. 17 goals this season, three consecutive home hat-tricks, blah, blah, blah. There are no end of, of stats I could strafe you with. I mean, he's brilliant in the air. He's brilliant with the ball on his feet. He, he can volley first time. He can set up goals. He scores them. That goal, he sort of hooked in at the far post um, from the, was it a, Foden or De Bruyne across. You know, most strikers, I think, would have just slid and and left a, a foot out. But he managed to also hook his foot around the ball after doing the, dip, you know, the, the routine part and then sort of did an expector gadget ex- ankle extension to hook his foot around the ball just to make sure it went in. Whether he, he hasn't ruined football, he, he's I reckon he might, go somewhere towards ruining this season's Premier League and any chance we have of a title race. But um, he he's a remarkable player. He's And I think podcasts and TV shows and radio shows are now going to need someone to step up to his level to, to find new ways of describing how good he is because he... he um, 
my vocabulary just isn't <laughs> wide enough to, to I'd, I'd have to go and have a good long think about you know different things you can say about him I hope he doesn't get injured because I think that's the only thing that's going to stop him scoring and I'm really intrigued to see how much gas there is in this Haaland explosion I, I said a couple of weeks ago I think you could get 60 goals this season that, that now it's beginning to seem like something a conservative estimate I like the way, Barry, that, you know, at this stage, you certainly don't want to have a long think about things you might say on this podcast. John, is there... I was thinking, John, if you if you sort of drew a composite centre-forward of the best parts of every centre-forward ever, like how much better would that be than Haaland? Just about the only thing that he doesn't really do is the dribbling. Now, there aren't many big dribbling centre-forwards. Maybe R9, like big Ronaldo? Do you think original yeah, big, Ronaldo? Yeah, big Ronaldo. Maybe? Yeah, so yeah, he doesn't quite have that, that burst of pace. and I mean, obviously, he has the burst of pace, but the yeah, that, 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 the slight of foot that, 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 that big Ronaldo had. Um, and he's that's the player that he's most compared to at this time. You're watching someone like Jonah Lomu. You're watching someone like Tiger Woods. You're looking like someone like... Uh, Say I mean, other sports, you know, like rugby league, you know, like Martin Afire or um, Ellery Hanley, someone that actually defines the sport almost. And I was thinking, is he good for business? Because in, in golf, Tiger Woods was definitely very good for business, wasn't he? I mean, he, you know, he, he the the golfers say that he increased their their uh, prize money by being Tiger Woods by bringing people to the sport. But then, of course, I thought of someone like Michael Schumacher in F1 and, uh, and, and sadly, perhaps like Lewis Hamilton, where until the Drive to Survive era, people turned off F1 because they knew who was going to win. And so if you've got someone like Haaland, who's just like, oh, Haaland's going to score 40 goals a season, City win the league. I suppose one thing we might have is that will Norway win the World Cup with Haaland? You know, that, that might be a narrative. But it, it, you get to that point where you, into the superlatives, you're almost considering projecting his career into into greatness. And with that, I was chatting to uh, some friends last night and, and we came up with this idea. This is, as well as being bad for business for some people, perhaps, we don't know that yet, might be bad for Pep Guardiola. Now, what was the thing we always said about Pep Guardiola is he can't win the Champions League without Messi. Now, Haaland is so good that we're going to say... When City win the Champions League, ah, you see, he couldn't win the Champions League without Messi or Haaland. Therefore, Guardiola is a fraud. He is a fraud. I mean, I guess Norway at least have to qualify for the World Cup. So, you know, that is one one step away, isn't it? Uh, Troy, is he good good for business? Can I just jump in here and can't believe that you've called one of the greatest centre-forwards of all time, Big Ronaldo? Yeah, I mean that was polite as well because like it's sort of fat Ronaldo oh, is sort of generally how he's no, which is I appreciate is unfair. I mean he is he was I grant you Troy, so he was a good player. <laughs> um, back to your question, Max. Um, he's the best thing that obviously has happened to the Premier League for a little while now. Um, whether he's good for business or not, we'll we'll tell you at the end of the season. But the numbers that he's racking up. The, the performances that he's already brought fear into uh, defenders, not even just defenders, but he's brought fear into the opposition. And I don't mind watching someone that can do that. I thought yesterday he brought a little bit more to his game. Um, you know, the cross for Foden's goal is De Bruyne-esque, isn't it? it he's learning off of his own teammate about how to, to slide a ball. 
across the box, but because he knows what he wants. So he would have loved to have been on the end of that anyway. And then the, the five, six touches as United's defence backed off him to create the goal for Foden. So, I mean, if ever there were tens, I've seen people give 10, 10 out of tens for, for nothing like that. So for him, you know, that was a 10 out of 10 performance and we should grace players like that. You know, I, I still struggle with people that say they don't like watching Guardiola's Manchester City. Well, if you weren't purring at yesterday's performance, then you're never going to purr. And amongst all this, Barry, Phil Foden, you know, <laughs> born a yeah. Man City fan, scoring his first hat-trick for Man City against Man United. And we're, what, we're, we're 10 minutes in and might do one question on it. Yeah, he's uh, reduced the status of footnote, which we've pointed out before. Other City players have been outstanding this season in various games and, and they barely merit a mention. I wonder... Will they at some point start to get fed up with that? Probably not, as long as they're winning. Foden scored a really good hat-trick. Uh, Jack Grealish was, was excellent yesterday, one of his best performances in a City shirt. But yet, all the focus is on, on the big Norse god. I thought it was funny, actually, at, at the end of the game, Phil Foden made a point of grabbing the match ball, presumably because, uh, I think we mentioned this before, you know, Haaland will at some point get to the the stage where he puts the key in the door of his house, opens it, and a load of footballs <laughs> <laughs> just go rolling out. It is hard to get away from him, but yeah, De Bruyne was outstanding yesterday. There were so many good performances from various City players, but they are. It is the nature of the the business that they are reduced to the status of footnote. They probably don't care, and I I suspect uh, at the final whistle. Pep Guardiola's probably a bit peed off that uh, they'd let in three goals. Mm. I mean, I don't. I think John and, and Barry's spot on, isn't he, with how many City players played well, which I think must mitigate the Manchester United side of this. I mean, I, you know, I think you know Gary Neville and Roy Keane were obviously furious yesterday, yeah. and Ten Hag was very critical as well. But you know, Manchester United are a work in progress. They're just not as good as Manchester City. Well, obviously not. No, but but they did enter that fixture with with an expectation having beaten Arsenal and Liverpool that, that Manchester City might be given something of a competition to face and something to, you know and uh, from minute 1 City passed the ball around United looked panicked um whenever United got the ball it seemed that they were going for a, a route 1 try and get the ball up as quickly as possible and score because that was all they knew knew to do. That obviously, you know, uh, um, Ten Hag had set them up to play on the counter, and with that, they were already panicking and and, and, and crystallising their own mind. Let's just get it up there and, and get it away. And the danger, they looked frightened by how powerful Manchester City were. I think what you're intimating there about the Roy Keane and Gary Neville thing, there's something about like their their stance is that they every time they have to come out and put out that that's not a Manchester United performance. That's not what the manager, i.e. Alex Ferguson, would have said for us. And they have to put on this sort of like hard man 90s, you know, uh, that's not the way it should be. Now, I, I recall this from the 90s itself when various Liverpool, ex-Liverpool players would say that about a Liverpool performance. You know, like you get Phil Thompson or... Uh, or, or someone saying, you know, that's not a Liverpool performance for me. You know, Shankly would not accept that. And it, that's what you've got with Manchester United when they get turned over with that. By the end of that game, OK, it was 
Um, you've got Anthony Martial doing what Anthony Martial does and affecting a game at the end of it when it's done. Uh, either that's at the end of a sort of 4-0 win or a 6-3 loss. You've also got the idea that Edison didn't really have a very good game for Manchester City, which might be a little bit, bit of a worry for Pep Guardiola. Do, do United think in losing 6-3, they got away with one? That's almost the margin between... That's the, almost the margins between yeah. City and United we're looking at. Uh, Rich says, at what age should the phrase, well, we won the second half, be retired by? Under nines, under 12s, Premier League. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you think of you know the United performance. I was interesting how critical Ten Hag was because I suppose that is he's setting a level for... Well, do, do you think they were good? Or Me? not terrible. Yeah. No, Rubbish. I thought they were terrible, but yeah. I think... I think <laughs> no, of course I thought they were terrible, but I don't know how it's... It's very hard to be good against Manchester City. No, I'm sorry. Think... It's, it's just you seem to be given the impression that there's not a whole lot they could have done about it. I mean, they they, they aren't as good as City, but they could have played a lot better. They, they... Yes, Barry's, Barry's right. Uh, YP says, has anyone on the panel ever been dropped to the bench as a sign of respect? To their big career. <laughs> That's what Ten Hag said about Ronaldo. Uh, not brought on partly out of respect for his career. I, it doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, I don't know I don't know w- what it means. I think that does make a bit of sense, doesn't it? Okay, the relationship that Ten Hag has with Ronaldo is Ten Hag's come into to Manchester United and perhaps United's greatest modern player is Cristiano Ronaldo, who's still at the club. And he has to treat him with kid gloves. And... I think it's correct that you can't just... If you chuck on Ronaldo a part of a 6-3, then he's going to get booed by the City fans and uh, those pictures are going to be shown across the world. Ronaldo looking pissed off. I mean, all right, we have plenty of those from the bench. That's OK. <laughs> but 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 it, it's... It, what what is, what is Ten Hag going to learn by chucking on Cristiano Ronaldo in a match that United have clearly lost? Nothing. What's there to gain from it? Nothing. So maybe it wasn't that bad. And also... Ten Hag's phrasing of it was perhaps a little different than one we'd have chosen. You know, his his English is not fantastic, but I think I I'm, no, fair enough. I make I make I think I understand what he was trying to say there. What what does it say about his thoughts on Luke Shaw's career that he was happy to bring him on when they were four nil down? <laughs> well. That that was implicit, wasn't it, really? Yes. <laughs> um, Joe says, have Arsenal beaten anyone good yet? A very good question. And a bit, Troy, like the, the City United game, as you mentioned it, Arsenal sort of felt like they won this game in the first minute. Their approach was so good. Tottenham were really not great in this football match. And, and you know, Arsenal, despite the fact that Man City have definitely won the title, Arsenal are still above them. It's always very hard to talk about an Arsenal winning a North London derby, but... Full respect to them to be, to- again, I'm going to say to be totally honest. So, Max, that's twice. Can you keep count? Please yeah. be honest. Please keep be. And don't just be honest, Troy. Be totally <laughs> honest, right? Uh, we want nothing else. Arteta approached the game. You know, I think there was a, a the aftermath of the defeat at the end of last season and Arsenal really wanted to focus on making sure that they, they grind down Spurs and with the way that Conte approached the game as well. I, I just thought it was so negative. They were asking to be beat. They were literally asking to beat, and Arsenal stepped up and, and absolutely did it. They they dominated the game from start to finish. Um, Spurs were 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 there for the taking, and Arsenal took them. And it's 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 deep, you know. Considering Liverpool are not performing, considering United are are up and down, Chelsea they're not really impressing anybody. You know, Arsenal looking like a side that the only side that could push Man City if they're gonna, and and it'll be interesting when those games come along for sure. 
Um, but they were very good. Spurs were very bad. I blame the manager for Spurs' defeat. Um, and I praise the manager for Arsenal's win. All over the pitch. Arsenal were brilliant. Saliba, Ben White, Jesus and Xhaka, Barry. Yes, correct. I mean, this was their biggest test in the season in, in so far as people said they hadn't beaten much. But I do agree they didn't beat much in this game either. But it's an North London derby. It's a big occasion. It could have got to them and it didn't. And, of course, you can only beat what's in front of you. I was hugely impressed with William Saliba. Uh, for me, he was man of the match. I know Granit Xhaka got the award in the end. Brilliant um, redemption story for him, uh, given that three years ago he was, you know, an object of, of extreme abuse or the subject of extreme abuse from Arsenal fans. I, I think... This scoreline almost flattered Spurs more than the City Man use scoreline flattered United. They they were terrible, like really bad, sitting deep. Um, when they tried to play out from the back, they got closed down. When they tried to play it long, Arsenal kept winning the ball back. They were better than them in pretty much every department. Uh, the sending off didn't help, but Arsenal had been targeting Emerson Royale and he was playing so badly that admittedly without getting much help from his teammates he was he was left isolated i'm not sure his absence made all that much of a difference because he wasn't really there when he was on the pitch as well yeah a, a good win for arsenal but probably easier than they were expecting tottenham john were boring yes. are mm-hmm. boring um and and, and were not good. And I've said this a few times before, but when you play like that, your forward players only really touch the ball sort of four or five times in a game. And so the pressure on them to deliver at that moment is so high. And so that's sort of understandable why their final ball wasn't great in this game. Listen, Antonio Conte is a, is a coach that succeeded just about everywhere he's gone. But I, I didn't expect in a game like this, Spurs to play like George Graham era Spurs. Hmm. You, you've got two teams there. Arsenal absolutely swarming with confidence, as I think they will do until they meet Manchester City. That's it, you know. And 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 they're just they look, you know, it's co it's coherent, it's cohesive. Uh, they look like they're enjoying themselves. Tottenham, hmm. I don't think it looks much fun to play for Antonio Conte this season. Just as it wasn't for George Graham, you know, twenty odd years ago. But Emerson Royale, he's always got that in him. Hasn't he? I mean, oh dear. Honestly, honestly, I was so frustrated. Because you know what? I was, I was texting a mate. I was texting Paul Hawksby, works for TalkSport, and I saw the foul and I, I went to go for a wee and I didn't think it would be even a yellow card. I wasn't really sure. And I was just like, he should just be sold for that foul. It's so, you know, the guy's going away from, you know, there's just no reason to commit that foul. There's absolutely no reason. And I know he came in after Arise Sejourier who did that all the time. And Royale doesn't do it all the time. No. But it's so... I don't know, like, it's interesting. He, yes, Troy? Max, that's what frustration does to you. You know, Spurs have not had a minute on the ball. They've not been good. They've not been expansive. And actually, they've got the quality in that team to do that. You know, so actually, the frustrating part is that Arsenal are dominating to the point where, and I know at that stage, you know, the game wasn't won or lost, but they were dominating to the point where the frustration starts to come out. And listen, I didn't think it was a red. But it's a silly challenge. 
it's a silly challenge that doesn't need to be made. And the defence from Richarlison, I think it was more than anybody else, is just as bad as the tackle. It, it's just, you know, he's, the referee has made a decision, he's gone. But the frustrating element of it is with Spurs and the attacking talent that they have and the way that they can play, to see Son and Richarlison play so deep in areas that they just don't mm. want to be contributed to the defeat. Do you think Tottenham's midfield is good enough? Because I agree with you. They've got all these great attacking players, but I think Benson Cross is a lovely footballer, but they don't... They, 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 if, you only play two, if you only play two there as well, you can't really control a game, can you? No, no. And they're missing a playmaker, someone like um, Christian Eriksen or, or someone like that. They're missing someone that actually can, can get their foot on the ball, either slow the pace down and quicken the pace up and make sure that the free forwards that they do have can go and contribute in, in the way that we know they can. But it seems like they're being held back a little bit. Um, and, I, and I think Conte didn't learn from the Chelsea game. Admittedly, they got that late goal, but Son was very poor defensively in that game. And they asked him to do a lot of tracking back and he doesn't do it very well. And that's not his fault. That's not his game. But then they asked him to do exactly the same thing and Richarlison on the other side. And it, and it just wasn't good. And it, and it was a real bad game plan. Um, from Spurs when I thought actually that with the way the two teams are they might have had a real go at Arsenal Kean asks after that performance for Spurs does Emerson Royal need his money back from the hyperbaric chamber he bought <laughs> uh, yeah he spent £800,000 of his own money uh, buying amongst other things a hyperbaric oxygen chamber he also got a scouting report on uh, Ashraf Hakimi uh, his dad did that because uh, Hakimi did so well uh, under Conte at uh, Inter and he's been working with a neuroscientist, um, Dr. Fabi- Fabiano de Abrao Agrela, um, has been brought on board and credited by others close to Royal for helping him focus more and worry less, except specifically for that, that, that minute of the game, I suspect. Um, uh, Troy, uh, do you think Arsenal, how, how far can they go, do you think? Up to second. Um, they can go as far as that. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, look, it's a funny season, isn't it? We're gonna, we've had a month break for most. We're going to have another break in a little while. The World Cup's going to come along and destroy the whole kind of nature of the Premier League. So we have to see how the players come back from a World Cup this time. You know, at least they get some kind of a break when the World Cup is in its normal place. So what does that do to many a team? It's just such a difficult one. But if City carry on the way that they do, then you just can't see beyond them. But you can see Arsenal, I had them down as fourth. You can see them finishing runners-up um, yeah. if everybody doesn't doesn't sort themselves out. And as other people have said, you know, the, the big issue with this World Cup is that Erling Brat Harlan can spend a whole month in a hyperbaric <laughs> chamber <laughs> and come back twice the size. Yes, John? Well, the, the only hope that Arsenal have got of winning the league is that Erling spends his World Cup eating Percy Pigs, really, haven't they? That's it. <laughs> Probably right. Uh, and finally, Alex said, isn't it nice to see a footballer with his shirt tucked in again? Um, can uh, Kieran Tierney's influence uh, see if others follow suit? Uh, you know, well done for Kieran to bring it back to the, the good old days of football when players tucked their shirt. Well, Scott Parker was the sort of hero of this, I think. You look confused, Barry. I hadn't noticed that footballers having their shirts out was a thing. I, aren't you supposed to have it? tucked in I think isn't it I a rule of the game some refs make you where have you some been? refs make you tuck it in yeah like, even at my level I'm like what are you doing oh that's years gone by what would have Glenn you couldn't Glenn Hoddle couldn't have been Glenn Hoddle with a 
untucked with a tucked shirt. What would Chris Riccobono say? That's that's the big question, isn't it? Anyway, uh, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin at Anfield. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Liverpool three, Brighton three. Uh, Martin says, Brighton draw 3-3 with Liverpool. Deservedly so. I don't know if that's his joke or someone else's, but I enjoyed it tremendously. And actually, if one side's going to be disappointed not to win, it should be Brighton, John. Should have been 6-3, really. We could have had two 6-3s in a weekend. And um, Liverpool got away with that. They really did. They were terrible. But... But, 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 let's give credit to Brighton. Uh, let's not always uh, criticise the big team. Brighton have had an excellent season so far. They've changed the manager. Um, De Zerbe looks like he... Can we say this? Can we say this? That Graham Potter was holding Brighton back. <laughs> yeah, let's just say that. Go on, let's just say that he's okay. holding them back. And now that they've, uh, you know... Deserve is, you know, let fly the dogs of Brighton. Uh, off we go, and we're watching this all uh, action attacking force. And actually, uh, joking aside, Leandro Trossard had already had an outstanding season under G Pot, and now that hat trick was absolutely superb. He's such a good player. Um, and again, Danny Welbeck, the non scoring striker, what a good player he is. Uh, he really is. He pulled Liverpool all over the place. And and Liverpool, the secret's out, isn't it? If you have a, a centre-forward like that, if you have uh, attacking midfielders of, of the quality of Trossard, you go to Anfield, you've got a chance because they are very ragged uh, in defence and at the base of midfield. Um, and uh, I... I think... Here's a player that we didn't really expect to see do much for them, but... Liverpool ought to be thankful for Roberto Firmino. Thank God he's reviving himself because the rest of them aren't. Yeah, John says, how is a club like Brighton that's lost its technical director, Dan Ashworth, its manager, its assistant manager, first team coach, player coach, club legend Bruno, goalkeeping coach, assistant head of recruitment, top goal scorer Neil Mopai, player of the season Cucurella, Basuma, Ben White, now be better than last season? How is that possible, Troy? They've they've got a good philosophy running through the football club, and um, it's almost one of those you hand the reins over, and but you keep the kind of identity of the club alive. I suppose that's what the achievement has been from the 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 board is that 
if someone leaves or if someone of prominence, you know, is no longer around, you don't notice it as much as what you think you would. I mean, Mope, excellent for Brighton, but Welbeck brings something a little bit more, a little bit different and, and enables them to play, I think, enables them to connect a lot more with their front, the other front two players as well. And yeah, he, he's been amazing and they, they've bought very well. Um, they've bought very well and they've kept the ethos of the side, the balance of the side looking well. And you, you'll never be surprised at performances like that. Although I think they caught Liverpool at a really good time and, and will, will be absolutely gutted that they didn't walk away with three points. Um, but it's, it's a mark on the identity of the football club that they continue to rise rather than, you know, be disappointed at, at players that have left, that the manager that has created such a great environment has left they're just continuing to thrive. And, you know, if that continues, you know, you could see them in Europe if they keep playing the way, the way that they are at the moment. What's happened to Liverpool, Barry? Is it, is it they heard your prediction, outlandish prediction, that they might not get in the top four and they really took it to heart? Probably. That's probably exactly what happened. But in the unlikely event that that isn't <laughs> what happened, I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, I suspect fatigue maybe one. They played every game they could possibly play last season. They hadn't as much time to recover as they might have liked because of this season's, uh, you know, having to start early. I think they needed to buy a good midfielder. I think too many players that have been incredibly reliable for them in recent years are, are a bit off it. Um I think Trent Alexander-Arnold is making mistakes. Uh, he's being scapegoated and people are falling over to themselves to criticise him and in the process failing to, to notice or mention that uh, Jordan Henderson isn't the force he was, which is understandable. He's not getting any younger. Virgil van Dijk is off it. Mo Salah is off it. It's quite a few players who are off it. They miss uh, Sadio Mane although I believe things aren't going so well for him at Bayern Munich, so may maybe he wouldn't have been as good either. He'd have been off it. Um, so I think there's any number of reasons why they're not the force they were, and I, I increasingly think they will struggle to to make the top four because they're certainly not going to win the title. I think they're 11 points off the pace already. You know, they, they can only afford to, to lose about drop maybe another nine maximum if they're to be in with a shout to win the title, and you wouldn't be confident they could lose those before the World Cup easily. Divock Origi was holding this squad together, John. <laughs> Bear says, did Liverpool make a mistake extending Jurgen Klopp's contract? Or are they planning on selling half the squad this summer? It feels like the end of a manager's time each week with them. There's, there's this idea, isn't there, that, uh, that when Liverpool sign Jude Bellingham next season, that that's going to be it. That's going to... That's going to uh, revive Liverpool. Um, the problem is Jude Bellingham, I presume, watches uh, the Premier League over in Germany. And there's this other team in the northwest who are really, really good. And they've got a really, really good striker who might be nice to pass to. And they've got loads of other midfielders, a couple of whom are getting on. One of them is Bernardo Silva, who might be moving on. Uh, and one's Kevin De Bruyne, who's getting 32. And if you're Jude Bellingham, you'd think... Maybe Manchester City might be a better destination and City can afford it. So does Liverpool completely fall apart because they don't get Juve Bellingham? 
a lot has been made, and it's been it's been right. Liverpool's team was built uh, expertly, wasn't it? Uh, and you, uh, under Mike Edwards, you've got Julian Ward is now the director of football, and it's become slightly incoherent. There are gaps in the team. Uh, Darwin Nunes, there's some funny whispers about him about how good a player they've signed about how he's how he's training on it's not going well at Liverpool I think as Barry said a lot of it is to do with last season um they flew too close to the sun and uh they're, they're bearing the, the scars of that if you can clop most managers don't get to build two great teams do they really that's that's sort of what we accept if you can clop manages to turn this around and make Liverpool a contender again then he really is one of the great managers of our time. This might be a little bit controversial, but it seems to me like players are ignoring the instructions of their manager or the coaching team. And when that starts, that's very, very hard to turn around. And so the question that came in, has Klopp's time come to an end, could. Because I, I just don't think they're reacting to the, to the manager anymore. And I, I don't think you sack as Jurgen Klopp, do you, without giving him the opportunity to turn it round. But we've seen funnier things, haven't we? And, you know, if he's not having the same influence that he's had over over many a year, then could there be a parting of the ways? God, I mean, what a job he's... Amazing, like <laughs> filling those shoes would not be easy. No. Uh, filling Bruno Lars's shoes, perhaps easier, <laughs> um, with all due respect to Bruno. Um, Stuart says, Barry was right with his pre-season preview of Bruno not lasting the season. What a bloke. That's quite a lot of praise, Barry, for something that I think a lot of people are amazingly surprised. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Will's chairman, Jeff Shee, said, poor form meant he had no choice but to take the difficult decision to sack him. He's an excellent coach, hardworking and dedicated manager, a warm, wise and honest man. Um, I have no doubts about Bruno's ability. I'm sure he'll succeed Elsewhere, it's a key word in, in this statement, isn't it? Has he been good, Barry? How would you react? How would you rate Bruno Lars's tenure? I, I rated him at the start, but I mean, one win in fifteen speaks for itself. I was working on Saturday actually, and and uh, afterwards I, I went to the pub for a couple of pints, and I, I met two extremely refreshed. Brentford fans who hadn't been able to get tickets for Bournemouth so they'd gone to watch Dulwich Hamlet instead and um, they were asking me who I thought would be the next Premier League manager to get sacked and as they asked the question Bruno came up on the screen in his post-match interview after Wolves had lost against West Ham and I just pointed at the telly (laughs) and they went really do you think so and I said yeah I said to be honest I think Ralph Hasenhutl should be but I think he will be, and he was sacked a couple of hours later. So, um, but yeah, the, the results aren't good enough. They can't score goals. Fairly overweight. Diego Costa showed signs of brief signs of life when he came on on Saturday. But they, yeah, they need someone new. I mean, the, just the lack of goals is a killer. Yeah, I mean, I, I was at the West Ham game on Saturday evening, and. Um... The team Wolves reminded me most of uh, was Swindon in ninety three, ninety four. Do you remember the Swindon when they right. they yeah. Fjortoff, Fjortoff, John Sheffield in John goal, Monker. Colin Calderwood was he there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think was Andy Much there as well. You know, but yeah, but they they just never. As soon as they got towards the the, the West Ham box, nothing, absolutely nothing, and they've got some pretty 
neat players there, haven't they? Uh, uh, Daniel Podence, uh, Pedro Neto. Neto did go off injured. But nothing was happened. And, and uh, Bruno Large's move was uh, to put probably his best player, Ruben Neves, pretty much in defence, some sort of Laurent Blanc-style sweeper. Um, it didn't work. It really did not work. Um, and, yeah, the entertainment value... Wasn't really provided by West Ham, who who won the game easily without actually having to do that much. But was Diego Costa when when Neto got injured in the first half, Costa was asking to come on and was really angry that he hadn't been told to warm up. Now, okay, Bruno Lage, it didn't work out for him, but he was right about this. If he'd have put on Diego Costa after thirty five minutes. The state of Costa by sort of 60 minutes in the game would have been incredible because he came on, shouted at everybody for a bit, missed that header, and then he was gone. He wasn't fit enough, really, to continue at that point. He did look like a bit like the Diego Costa, I remember. You know, the instinct is there, but he wasn't fit. And I suppose at that point, if that was the the panic button that Wolves had to press, then it really wasn't going to last that long for, for... for Bruno Large, the, the suggestion is that the appointment will be from within, or I suspect that it will be a George Mendes client will be their next manager. I mean, from within means from Portugal <laughs> in, in Wolves' yes, terms, yes, doesn't exactly, it? But, yes, but, um, but Sky Sports, you alerted me to this. Sky Sports Twitter, and I thought it was like a fake Sky Sports Twitter account, said Alan Kerbishley, Steve Bruce, and Neil Warnock on the Wolves manager shortlist. Surely, Troy, someone has hacked their account. Alan That's, Kerbishley no, can't that, be on. That tweet is it's 10 years 10 old. Years ago. That's the joke. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> I was going to say, that's Sunday banter for you, isn't it? Oh, right. I was really good. That's really... Imp- I'm... That was when Mick McCarthy was fired. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm delighted. I was like... I was looking at... I looked at the account. I looked and went, eight and a half million followers. That is the Sky Sports account. This is ridiculous. Like... Like, this absolutely can't be real. I've spent the whole day thinking that they're going through a huge change of direction. Just give it to all three of them, like a super group. <laughs> absolutely tremendous. Imagine how miffed Mickey Adams and Gary Megson must have been that they weren't on it. <laughs> um, David said, the commentator for the Leeds Villa game just announced that Wolves had parted ways with Bruno Mars. Which international pop stars did the pod think they should appoint next? Give it Lady Gaga until Christmas. Um, on, on Skamaka, Troy, who was up in the group with Nevers, which really wasn't fair, was it? And he looks great, Skamaka, and incredible tattoos yeah, yeah. that he has. Pete says, has there ever been an Italian player who's been as, has been seen as successful in the Premier League? Have West Ham discovered the first? Gianfranco Zola <laughs> springs to mind. <laughs> Ravinelli? Well, that... but the, Canio? Ravinelli, Zola, Decanio. But interestingly, there aren't that... There aren't actually that many. I mean, I don't know if it's just... I just sort of think Italians who've really flown. I saw a best top seven that included um, Massimo Macaroni and Francesco Baiana. I think this is... I think there's a statistic that... Um, there has never been an Italian World Cup winner that's played in the Premier League. Balotelli. Balotelli, I'm just being told, is the only one. He didn't win the World Cup, though, did he? Ah, oh, right. That's a different stat. Sorry, I'm being told a different stat. And, you know, I'm still reeling from the fact that Neil Warnock and Alan Kirby aren't taking the Wolves job. So, you know, now, obviously, I mean, Jorginho would be among the more yeah. uh, successful. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Let's do Fulham, Newcastle. Um, uh, Chalaba's first start of the season... 
uh, getting sent off after eight minutes is clearly not <laughs> ideal. Um, uh, Marco Silva wasn't sure about the red card. I think he should probably just watch it again, Marco. <laughs> anyway, the only thing to talk about, Troy, is that Almiron volley, isn't it? I mean, he pulls it out of the locker on, on the odd occasion, doesn't he? And, and that was just... That was just brilliant. It was purposeful. Um, he, he seems to be reacting to the Grealish criticism very well. He's live. I've always thought he was live and probably not well managed by the previous manager in regards to how he wanted him to play. But he's flourishing at the moment under under Howe. And, and, and that was a, 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 listen, it's a magnificent finish. It will probably take goal of the, the the month already and likely to be in the running for goal of the season. Just his movement, the connection, it, it's just, it's one of those where you just leave it to perfection. Words can't describe. It's better left alone, just watching it over and over again. But keep describing it, Troy, if you could. Well, I know, that's what I mean. So what's the <laughs> point in me trying to describe it? Um, I'm sure someone will come for me on Twitter. He said that it's not, probably not worth describing, but he then described it. Um, but he's playing very well. Uh, obviously, Newcastle benefited from the the early sending off and Fulham couldn't hold out. But uh, Eddie Howe would be pleased about that result because the, putting the ball in the back of the net on a consistent basis is something that will bring confidence to the whole squad and maybe see them going up the table rather than being a little bit stout um, the way they have been so far. The only thing, I didn't see too much of this game, but the image that, that stands out to me is that there was some great footage of Marco Silva. The look on his face this look of absolute agony and and in that sort of slightly empty stand that they've got now just you know just he just looks so pained so pained he, he look he's good at looking pained marco silva actually well they lost the game and i don't think it was shown a match of the day but um they also lost alexander mitrovic to an ankle injury that oh. looks like it could be quite nasty so it was a pretty disastrous day at the office for them before we end part two uh, and talk about the rest of the Premier League, uh, you will have probably seen the story from Indonesia, an absolute tragedy. At least 125 people. It was reported to be more. Um, figures have been revised overnight, have died in a crush at a football stadium there. Um, one of the world's worst disasters. Hundreds were also hurt um, in the aftermath of the home team. Arima FC's loss to bitter rivals Perspaya Surabaya at the overcrowded stadium uh, in Malang in East Java. Uh, the crush took place after police tear-gassed fans who'd invaded the pitch. FIFA uh, said that no crowd control gas should be carried or used by stewards or police at matches. Jenny uh, Infantino said it was a dark day for all involved in football, a tragedy before, a tragedy beyond comprehension. And uh, there's a lot of speculation going around about what exactly happened? Uh, we don't see any point in doing that. We just obviously extend our absolute sympathies to everybody who's been involved in that. And we'll be back in a minute. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, to Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace 1, Chelsea 2. Chris says, how was Thiago Silva not sent off? when he committed three different offences. Deliberate handball, last defender back, denial of a goal-scoring opportunity in one foul. Barry? Well, I think the reason myself is that uh, when he handled the ball, it was Jordan Ayew he prevented from giving a clear goal-scoring opportunity. I, th I think when G Jordan Ayew is on the ball, there is no such thing as a clear goal-scoring <laughs> opportunity. So that may be what saved him. Uh, I jest, of course, up to a point, but um, I... I don't get it. it. It has to have been a red card. Um, 
And he was very, very lucky. And then, of course, Sod's Law decreed that he went on to, to provide the assist for uh, Obama Yang's equaliser. And then Conor Gallagher <laughs> had his own little fairy tale slash nightmare by scoring his first uh, goal for Chelsea, an absolute beauty against the team in which, with which he made his name last season and who he contributed so much to last season and whose fans absolutely adore him. Maybe not so much now, but I thought he was uh, quite nice about it in his post-match interviews. Yeah, as everyone was nice about it. The Palace fans were nice about it, applauded him before and after. It was sort of a nice moment uh, amidst the bleakness of football. But, but that's sending off... I mean, Steve Parrish, Troy, was furious... And we had a few tweets about, you know, that it's obviously big team bias. And obviously, I don't buy any of that. But I do, I do wonder how VAR have gone. The only possibility is they've gone, it is Jordan Ayew. And, you know, he might have to hit it with his left foot. Like, you don't have to be clean through in the middle of the goal to have a goal-scoring <laughs> opportunity. You can score from other, other parts of the pitch. I mean, yeah, the, Jordan Ayew, um uh, listen... Let's talk about his cross for the first goal, and then oh, it was beautiful. Wasn't it? it was a great cross, but listen, I think it was actually a shot. It was a shot, and he. he... <laughs> <laughs> but this is the moment where surely people can understand the criticism of VAR, because even if the on-field official and the the, cl- the closest uh, lines person doesn't see it, then you have the opportunity to watch it back and watch it back. And I can't... There needs to be an explanation as to why that wasn't given. There has to be, because... Listen, they, they could say, oh, he's a little bit far out and Chelsea players were running back. But he's handled the ball twice. The first one is an accident. I understand it. The second one is deliberate because he thinks he's going to get a foul. He doesn't get the foul, so he does the next best thing, which is stop Jordan Ayew from, you know, getting onto the ball, running close to the box, whatever it may be. I just don't... I just don't understand... I don't understand... What? <laughs> <laughs> possibly, possibly, maybe, maybe you know, in the VAR, they're, 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 what they're saying is if you lie down, sometimes if you lie down, you have an arm out, your arm is actually in a natural, <laughs> Thiago Silva's arm is in a natural Yeah, but what, you know what will happen next week is someone will do it again and then get sent off. And all we ask is for yeah. a little bit of consistency, applying the rules, or if you don't, an explanation to go with it. Because again, Sod's Law, Thiago Silva gets up, heads it for a Bamiang for the equaliser, and obviously is part of keeping the clean sheet for the rest of the game. So you can understand the anger of the manager, you can understand the anger of, of the chairman, because it just doesn't make sense. In, in no matter what world you want to put it in, it just doesn't make sense at all. And Thiago Silva is a very lucky boy. Tell you what doesn't make sense. This stat from Duncan Alexander that says Everton now have the best defence in the Premier League this season. They won 2-1 at Southampton. John, I can't believe that. I mean, that, does, that flies against all the things we've said about Frank Lampard. What's going on? Yeah, Frank Lampard, uh, he, he, the manager who could not um, manage uh, coach his team against the counter, who, who was completely clueless. I've actually enjoyed Everton this season. Uh, I think he's doing a... A, a good job. Uh, they're not that far off Liverpool in the table, are they? Maybe some of us have misjudged Frank uh, as a manager. He he did okay at various points at the clubs he's been at, uh, and then he's coming for criticism elsewhere. They've made some shrewd signings, John, haven't they? It's been very shrewd, and one of the things we didn't say about Wolves was the fact that they let Connor Cody go. 
who is a bigger personality and a leader. Yeah, and, and a good celebration, actually, by Connor Cody when he scored that goal. Yeah, he really enjoyed it. Yeah, and, and Dwight McNeil is one of those players that I think a few clubs looked at, uh, didn't quite take the take the, uh, the gamble on. Good goal by him. Um, I know Barry is... Uh, Barry is... Uh, like uh, like Madame Guillotine is uh, is calling for the axe to fall on Ralph Hasenhuttle. But when will it come? I suspect it might not come for quite a while, you know, because Southampton, maybe they're one of those clubs that just don't sack a manager. Well, the, the club owners seem to have incredible faith in him, which is, I suppose, nice to see. But, like, all their points this season have come from losing positions. In this game, they got into a winning position... And then still lost. <laughs> um, That's the end of that. I thought if they were going to sack him, it would be at the end of last season when they they had this awful run towards the end of the season, but had accumulated enough points to to stay up. But um, I just, I just don't. They just don't seem to. You never know what you're going to get with Southampton. Now they go to City next see, next weekend. Now that could be. They'll draw. That could be an absolute car crash. Or they might win. I just don't know. I, I don't get Southampton. And if I was a Southampton fan, I'd just be like... Because they're capable of playing some outstanding football and yet they really struggle to put more you know, more than a consecutive win together. It was very useful on Match of the Day that they did a graphic substituting Ainsley Maitland-Niles twice. Because the first time it happened, I went... Does he play for Southampton or Everton? I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know. And then the second time, I was like, oh yeah, he's at, he's at Southampton. Uh, it was a tweet, Troy, from Leon Mann saying, a black official in Premier League game, uh, top top human talented official Sam Allison. If you can see it, you can be it. Let's keep working to see more diversity in refereeing. Today's significant in that journey, and it really is because we talked a lot about this issue. We haven't really talked about, you know, the number of black officials there are, and there really aren't very many. No. Um... I, I have. I, I was um, privileged to host an event back in the summer um, at Villa Park where many a black official, black and brown official, were in attendance, you know, as we tried to, to look at the journeys, the pathways, the difficulties, the using, obviously, Uriah Rennie as the, the, the poster boy almost, you know, for many to look at it and, and hopefully go on the same journey. Um, unfortunately, I heard a number of pretty horrendous stories about the journey. You know, ones that I won't repeat here because they're not my stories, but just about the, the blockages in the system, the way that, that play, um, sorry, officials are spoken about, spoken to, referenced. And these are the things that we need to, to be able to talk about more, although obviously I've said that I can't today, but just in the way that I don't know why any human being would be treated in that way, just for trying to, to get up the ladder and, and do the job that they obviously love and many get driven away from it. So Sam Allison, I know well, um, he's had a great journey. Um, he's, a, he's a top guy um, and hopefully, hopefully that will be the start of, of seeing more, you know, officials from underrepresented groups getting in onto the ladder and officiating. Leeds nil, Aston Villa nil. Uh, tweet, I'm sorry, lost who asked the question saying, was that the dumbest red card in living memory? Hashtag Leeds. I would say in 24 hours, given Emerson Royale got sent off a day before. But even still, like Villa couldn't break them down. Barry, there were some quite nice moments. That volley from Coutinho was lovely, but it just sort of didn't really come off for either of them. 
Yeah, Villa bossed the stats uh, with shots, shots on target. Ollie Watkins didn't have a particularly good game. He hasn't scored for quite a while now. And uh, towards the end of the game, he, he missed an opportunity to tee up Danny Ings. Villa aren't scoring goals. They've they've a problem like Wolves. They've only scored six and eight. Leeds look kind of decent. I noticed afterwards Jesse Marsh was complaining about Villa slowing the game down and sucking any sort of oomph out of it uh, in a state of affairs that didn't allow Leeds to get any momentum. But I think Villa were probably the better of the two sides. The key, the key with this one, John, is if you're doing Super Sunday, don't put this one after the Manchester derby. I mean, that's madness, isn't it? Yeah, I did the minute by minute for the for the website on this, and yeah, it, 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 there's a cliche, isn't it? After the Lord Mayor's show, uh, this uh, it was just no, nowhere near that. And what you realise is you watch. Uh, play teams of the the high quality of uh, Manchester City, and then you watch Leeds and Villa, and there's there's one hell of a drop off there, or there certainly was in this game. Um, funny enough, the the, the point Barry met refers to uh, um, snail's pace was the was the phrase Jesse Marsh used in reference to uh, Villa slowing the game down. And funny enough, Stephen Gerrard admitted that yes, we did try and slow uh, Leeds down. So. Um, these teams don't like each other. That much was uh, implicit. I think there's a pre-season game in Australia where they had a bit of a row. Um, Archie Gray was on the end of a bad tackle from John McGinn and that boiled over into this game. They really didn't like each other. Uh, Stuart Atwell uh, handed out plenty of yellow cards, including that uh, uh, Sinistera. It should have been more. And Leeds fans were messaging me saying Villa should have had many more yellows it was one of those games that essentially broke down to who fouled more, who got away with more. It was it was pretty bore. And yeah, uh, as I, th- I think I, I wrote the headline in the talking points, they stunk out Super Sunday, and I think that's a I think that's a fair description. And yet, it was slightly better than Bournemouth Brentford. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that game. Pretend it never happened. Well, I, I mean, there were there were. Bournemouth Brentford, I think the the only talking points from that were the Chris Iyer foul on Zamora, which possibly should have been a penalty, but wasn't given. I didn't think it was a penalty. And then the handball at the death, uh, where the ball hit Matthias Jensen's foot and bounced off his hand. Completely accidental, but I think it probably should have been a penalty, which would have had to be taken after the final whistle. But... I don't really understand the handball law anymore, so I'm not sure if by the letter of the law it should be a penalty. If Thiago Silva does it, it doesn't matter. That is the new handball law. Uh, Leicester Forest is tonight. We'll discuss that on Wednesday's pod. Um, uh, Jez says, I think you'll appreciate this, uh, Sheffield United's goalkeeper Wes Fodderingham was asked why he mumbles to himself throughout the games. And his explanation was, I pretend I'm doing commentary on Sky Sports. Uh, it's all game. Apparently, it's a way. I think Joe Hart does it as, as well. It's a way of focusing during the match. You do wonder if Hugo Lloris was commentating when he decided to jump over the ball. Doesn't it remind you of like Brian Glover in the film Kess, though? You know, did, did, yes. that, that's, did, <laughs> Although when I'm in goal and when I'm in goal on five aside and I make a save, I do yell Gordon Banks. I don't know why, but like <laughs> very excited. <laughs> Full Handy says, how are Macclesfield getting on, John? How's the, oh, how's the, the renaissance, the all-new Macclesfield? Well, yeah, they, uh, 
I, I, I've, I went down there over the summer. I saw them win a glorious pre-season friendly against local rivals Crew. Uh, had a drink in the bar. Robbie Savage was there. Uh, I also saw Robbie's Lamborghini speeding along London Road later on that evening. They actually lost at the weekend to uh, Bootle, uh, but are still top of the Northern Premier League West, uh, having won the the Counties League the pre the season before. So all is well. Uh, a friend of mine, Paul Furs, a listener. So hello, Paul. Uh, keeps hello, Paul. Yeah, keeps me in touch and sends me the goals and so on and so forth. Yeah, it, it's a happy camp. What one thing I noticed actually was that. Um, because uh, it, it's a, a lower league ground and you can you can drink uh, in view of the pitch, at one corner uh, of, of the ground um, where the, the old main stand used to be, there's almost like this uh, this sort of lounging area that you could, that you pay extra to, I believe, and that you could just sort of hang out and uh, if not a hot tub, there's almost like that vibe there, like you know when you see South African cricket grounds and you see people yeah, just sort yeah. of hanging out and like. A, Almost like a, a tiki bar, uh, which is not very Macclesfield, but it, this, this <laughs> but this this sort of lounging area in the corner where you can sort of hang out and you know a chaise long. Meanwhile, the lads, um, you know, and it's, uh, just a couple of faces, you names you may you may know, uh, Neil Dans, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's at thirty nine, still still a good player. And I've got a goalkeeper on loan from Liverpool, Marcello uh, Pitaluga, um, and then Zeke Friars, uh, once of Manchester oh, United nice. and Tottenham, oh. is there. So, and 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 then Nicky Maynard, of course, you know, lower league uh, main mainstay. Wow. Yeah, so he must, be, he must be a thousand years old. Nicky Maynard. Actually, how old is? I was always Long sounds like Shane Long's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even that's his sister. Going, yeah, it's got. It's got uh, <laughs> Worst goal ratio, goal to <laughs> game ratio than Shane. Shane Long's exactly. twin sister, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so yeah, if if you if you ever visit uh, at Moss Rose or the Leasing dot com stadium as it's now known, uh, and I, I've been I've been there with Barry actually many years ago. Um, yeah, check out that area. I think you have to pay extra to go there, but um, it it sounds a lot more comfortable than the press <laughs> box. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for updating us and that'll do for today's podcast. Thanks, Troy. Thank you. Cheers, Barry. Thanks. Cheers, John. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Uh, We'll be back on Wednesday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian. 